Hi, this is Matthew Christopher, creator of the Abandoned America book series, website, and the podcast you're listening to. Thanks for listening, and I hope you're enjoying it so far. If you are, and you'd like to support the podcast and help keep it going, there are three things you can do that'll really help out. The first is simple. Just tell your friends and family about it, or leave a positive review on your podcast platform if they support it. Good word of mouth makes a huge difference. Second, if you'd like to hear early episodes and see exclusive essays and photos that aren't on my website yet, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash abandonedamerica. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash abandonedamerica. Third, if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, just drop me a note at admin at abandonedamerica.org. That's A-D-M-I-N at abandonedamerica.org. Every little bit counts, and I've got some really exciting episodes that I think you'll love coming up. Don't forget, you can also visit my website, abandonedamerica.us, for tons of photo galleries and background info on hundreds of abandoned sites, or order my two Abandoned America books from your favorite retailer. Hi, folks. You're listening to the Abandoned America podcast. I'm Matthew Christopher, and today we're just doing a bonus episode that's kind of a roundtable discussion between my guest co-host, Matt Lambros, of After the Final Curtain, which is a podcast, book series, and website, and Drew Scavello of Truth and Destruction Photography. We're going to be talking today about secrecy and why that's so important in terms of preserving locations and keeping them intact. It's probably one of the more controversial things uh, if you look at the urban exploration scene because, you know, in one camp you have people that are really, really for keeping locations to themselves and then you have other people that feel that information should be free and anything should be shared with anyone who wants to know anything about it. The conversation got a bit long because we were sharing war stories over places that we had been to throughout the years and kind of interesting things that had happened to them. The unabridged version is up on my Patreon. That's patreon.com slash America for subscribers if you'd like to listen to it there. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's get to it. everybody. This is Matthew Christopher, uh, author and photographer of the Abandoned America website and book series. And I am joined here today with my good friend and co-host, uh, Matt Lambros, who is the author and photographer of the After the Final Curtain series. Matt, nice to see you. Hey, how's it going? All right. How about yourself? Not too bad. No uh, no complaints now that we've I've resolved my technical issues for the day. So many technical issues, yeah. And we're also joined here by my good friend, Drew Scavello, who is the creator of the Truth and Destruction Photography uh, website. And that would be a really excellent name for a heavy metal group, by the way. It's like Motorhead yeah. 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming out and joining us, Drew. Uh, of course, yeah. good to be with you guys tonight. I'm excited about it. So today we are um, going to be talking about something that is, in my opinion, perhaps the biggest controversy in the photography of abandoned places, right? And that is secrecy. That is naming places and whether or not that's a, a thing that one should do or not. I mean, I would uh, say that probably the thing that I get asked the most when I put up pictures is where? Where is that? Where is that? Where is that? I'm guessing that that's probably the same with you two. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I work with a lot of or I post and have a lot of theater historians who follow me. So for a lot of times, if I don't name a location, I get a comment saying, this is what theater it is, and here's where it is, and this is when it closed. Right, which is kind of maddening, really. I mean, um, you know, that always drives me insane when you know, you're kind of purposefully not naming a place and somebody chimes in and says, that's what this place is. And, you know, usually they don't mean anything bad by it. And so I, I think that's kind of what the discussion today is about is, you know, you have a lot of people out there that I think maybe think, well, you know, I'm not going to do anything bad at this place. And sometimes they even get mad at you about it. 
So yeah, we were, I think, basically uh, the discussion today, it's, it's just a chat about why. Why would you not name a place? What's the, what's the point of not going into where a location is? Why wouldn't you just post it? Because people want to know. That way they can find out more about the history. And uh, according to people on the internet, at least, there may be somebody out there that's a reclusive billionaire that will see a photograph of some deteriorating building and decide they're going to rehab it. So it's a matter of our, our people being selfish and secretive uh, when they don't tell other people about the places. And if so, why not? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, the reclusive billionaire thing is interesting. I've actually had a couple uh, theaters that I posted that I didn't name at first, but I have had people put in a request for or answer a request for a proposal based on the photos that I've uh, I've posted. There was a, a guy named Ray Shepherdson who restored a number of theaters in the Midwest, who uh, answered the uh, call for Bridgeport and um, the Proctor's Troy. So uh, based on my reaching out to him on that. But so I just found that funny. Nothing ever ended up happening with that. But there, you know, um, I think it really needs to be judged building by building, whether you should name something or not. There are buildings now that have been abandoned for so long, like Gary, Indiana. Everyone knows, you know, the City Methodist. Everyone knows, anyone who explores, they know the names. There's no point in keeping them off, like not naming them. But there was someone I know, and I can't, I'm blanking on his name, who mentioned to me a long time ago that if you want to truly keep a place safe, don't post it on the internet. Don't post any photos. Don't talk about it. Go and be quiet. And there's a number of theaters that I have not posted anything on. I have sat on the photos and I will probably continue to do that until they're either demolished or rehab just based on the fact that I know that they will be swarmed within like a month from my posting them. So Drew, I mean, um, I know that you are also somebody who kind of keeps locations to yourself in a lot of places. What's your policy on that and why do you have it? I generally, unless a place is extremely well known, an example that I can give you would be Kings Park Psychiatric Center in New York. Like everybody in the exploring community knows about that place. There's plenty of people in the outside of the community that know about what it is too, because it's this big spooky metal hospital that's haunted on on Long Island. So that kind of place, I wouldn't have a problem name dropping or disclosing it in my photo. Another place, though, if it's somewhere that is untouched, that doesn't have a lot of graffiti, hasn't had a lot of foot traffic, the owner either has given me permission to be there or isn't aware of the fact that people are getting in there, that's the kind of place I'm not going to you know, tell anybody about unless it's somebody that I truly trust. Certainly not a bunch of random people on the internet. My reasons for that, the number one thing that I've noticed in the past, I would say two years is that the longevity of these places gets to just be less and less as far as the length of time from where they first become accessible and people start seeing them to when they're just completely destroyed. And at this point, from my experience, from what I'm seeing a lot, a new place isn't going to last more than a month before it either burns down mysteriously um, is covering graffiti or is completely locked down with some type of security technology or, you know, the property owner secured it. So if you want to keep these places not only in good condition, but accessible, the smartest thing that you can do is just keep your mouth shut. It's interesting. I've been doing this a while and I've noticed, and you bring up the last two years. So there's always been like a flavor of the month. Like a location that everyone on back when there were forums, Facebook groups, whatever, would all hit. And like for a while, it was, you know, Asylum A. And everyone would go there and you'd just see everyone's photos from there. And then it would just die off. And then because, you know, new flavor of the month showed up and everyone would go there. And in the past, yeah, probably two, three years, it's been like flavor of the week, flavor of the day. And then the first flavor of the month happened to burn down or get a ton of graffiti 
or, and it's just, it's cycling faster and faster. And I think it's, you know, I, I would blame like Instagram and Instagram Explorer group, but it's not just that. It's just that there's so many more explorers than there were, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Oh, right. you know, one of the people that I uh, actually, I was talking to somebody about this today and their sort of theory on it was that it was in part because kids are bored in COVID and that people are going out and trashing buildings more. And I, I mean, I could see that. I could see places getting messed up more because more and more people are going to them. But also there's this kind of uh, explosion in the popularity of visiting these places. And it's not just people want to look at pictures of them. They want to go to places that are near them. And one of the things that I often say is that you can have a hundred people go to a place, a thousand people go to a place with good intentions and they leave it alone. They don't damage anything. They you know, take only pictures, leave only footprints as the saying goes, but one person comes and sets it on fire and it's gone. So, you know, Drew, I know you have been to tons and tons of places and, and that's one of the things that sort of I wanted to mention in the beginning, but, you know, you've gone all across the country too. You've been to all of these sites. I mean, why not uh, Why not name somewhere that's out in the middle of like Montana or something? I mean, do you think that that would potentially be a problem or no? I would say that a lot of it comes down to the respect that I have for either the local people that, you know, were the first people to be doing that place or, you know, are currently doing that place, or especially if it's somebody that's told me about it, I'm not going to disrespect them by making that public, especially if they've, you know, asked me to not do that. I think the other part of it too, is just that I don't view it as being like my place to, to do that, to, to disclose where somewhere, where something is, but that's just my personal opinion. So, I mean, basically what you're saying is there's a, a sense in the kind of community of people that photograph abandoned buildings that, you're not really supposed to. If somebody gives you something in good faith or tells you about a place and then you go out and blast it all over the internet, you've betrayed their trust. Right. And I think that a big part of that for me goes back to when I started doing this stuff because the the first few people that I met when I started exploring really instilled that in me because they were the, you know, for lack of a better term, the older generation of people that were doing this stuff and they were very picky about, you know, you don't want to see these places get messed up. You want to treat them with respect. And that was the, the philosophy that they instilled in me. And I try and carry that forward to today and, you know, and instill that in other people as much as I possibly can. If somebody goes out and they find a really good spot and they tell you about it, and you go out and post it everywhere and tell, you know, 20 different people and they tell 20 different people until there's, you know, 4,000 people that know, then they're not going to trust you anymore. And they're not going to tell you about any more places either. Right. I mean, is that, does that make sense sort of? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely part of it. As far as, you know, like reputation in this community goes, I, I like to try to, you know, have as good and positive of a reputation as I can. And I think by doing, by, you know, wanting to do that, I just try and be respectful of the people that help me out along the way when, you know, I'm given help or given information about a place or something like that. Now, Matt, you have really done a lot of digging on your own about these various theaters. And I know you have, you and I have talked in private about some of the kind of differences that theaters present. I mean, you know, with some of the ones you'll work with them publicly towards preservation or list them on your website or put them out, but there are some that you don't. So what would be a differentiation there? Well, uh, Drew actually brought it up. There's a lot, there's a, uh, some theaters that I've gotten access to through friends who photograph them and have asked me to keep quiet and not say anything about that. And, you know, I always respect, try to respect my friends. And if they say, please don't, post this i don't well, the majority of theaters that i posted i've had permission to i've worked with the owners or they've had a group with theaters there's a it's usually friends of blank theater or you know something to that and uh blank theater helpers who are trying to restore the building and posting it under a pseudonym in that case doesn't help them and if they've given me access to a building and asked please promote this I'm not going to say, I'm not going to make up the name 
for that. But yeah, there's, you know, there, of course, there are some that I don't talk about and keep quiet because I'm worried that they'll be destroyed. Let's say that nobody else tells you about this. You and your research in theaters discover this place. You contact the owner, you talk to them. They say, go right ahead, do what you want. Is there any situation where you would say, you know what, maybe it's not a good idea if we do that? Of course. Yeah. So there was a theater in Illinois, Danville, Illinois, that I shot right before it was restored. And uh, I did not post anything about it until after the restoration had begun. And, you know, before pre-COVID, it had reopened. Um, And so then I could post my photos. I mean, am I understanding correctly when you say that it's something to do with whether there's an active restoration effort going on? Part of it, it, it's sort of, I, I kind of evaluate it two different ways. One would be, yeah, if there's an active restoration effort or the attempt to do that, or if I think the building is in danger of being demolished under sort of shady circumstances, uh, other than demolition by neglect, which is pretty much every building we all photograph. So case in point, there was the Hollywood Theater in uh, the East Village in Manhattan. And it was a theater that was located above a bodega. The, The lower level of the theater had been converted into a bodega probably I'm getting this wrong because it's been a long time and there's a lot of theaters in my head. But let's say it was in the 70s, but the balcony was still there. And it was kind of an effort between myself and someone else to see if we could get it landmarked by the New York City landmarks uh, before the owners could demolish it and turn it into condos. And so I published my photos. We talked to see if there's any news media that would be interested in running a story on it. She talked to New York State Landmarks and submitted an application and it ended up being rejected and the building was demolished. But I still feel like that was a good effort. Right. I mean, not, you know, not every time it's going to be successful, but you know, the way that I've approached this, I think early on, one of the people that um, I explored with early on, I photographed early on, really kind of ingrained in me this idea of keeping properties to yourself, not putting them out there because of the fact that, you know, people are going to trash them. And that was something I always really took to heart, particularly as years went on. And I saw this happening to places that I really cared about when they got sort of blown up on the internet, as you know, people put it. And that was really difficult for me because, you know, you form this relationship with a place. I mean, I think one of the things that is kind of a a key thing to really get across in these talks is the idea of falling in love with the building and really feeling like they're a part of your life or something that's meaningful. So when you see somebody come through and damage them, or you see the pictures of them on fire or whatever, that's really a a painful thing. And so I, I think, you know, for me, I kind of went in a very extreme direction, which is I always felt if people don't know about a place then why am I going to tell them about it? And so uh, I've eased up on it a little bit. But for example, you know, Hudson River State Hospital was one that I always thought, well, you know, uh, the people that are in the photography and urban exploration communities, a lot of them know about this. But if they don't, they're not going to learn about it through me if I put it under a pseudonym on my website. And, you know, that's something that has a lot of baggage with it too. There are a lot of disadvantages to doing that. I mean, like, you know, not to get into boring nuts and bolts of website management, but, you know, your search engine optimization, like you're not going to come up if somebody searches for that site. Um, If somebody's looking for information on them, you're out of the picture. So there are a lot of reasons that you would want to do it, but I always thought it's better to kind of leave it off the map if if possible. And, And I've reined that back in a little bit where now it's like if it's a Holmesburg prison, for example, in Philadelphia, where like you're not going to get in there unless you have like a jetpack or something. I mean, there's cops in there on a daily basis and it's surrounded by, I don't know, 40 foot high walls. But, you know, that's that was always something that was really important to me. And I'm just wondering, like, what was Drew the, the point where that really clicked with you? I mean, was there a point before you're like, ah, whatever, I'll just post it out there. And then you thought, you know what, maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. Maybe I kind of have to keep them to myself. Um, Not for me as much. If if anything, I would say it was kind of the reverse as time's gone by. But at the point that I'm at now, I only really 
will name a place if it's something like what you said with Holmesburg, a place that no one's going to get into without permission or something that's extremely well known. And to me, I think that was just because my passion for doing this took hold really pretty much immediately when I started doing it. And I value these places for what they are and I don't want to see them get screwed up. So I've kind of always had that mentality as far as like understanding the need to do what I can to do my part to make sure that these places stay in good condition. What about you, Matt? I mean, uh, was there a point that you remember where you were like, you know what, I I have to be more careful with these places? No, not really. I, when I first started my very first website that I did on this, I had everything labeled. uh, I had named everything. And I think one of the first people I went exploring with, I showed him the website and he was like, Oh, just change those names. And I, so I did. And uh, that was pretty much it. You know, I don't, I didn't really post anything or name a location unless like Drew said, it was, you know, Kings Park or someplace that everyone and their, you know, their mother has gone to. But when I started after the final curtain, you know, and I started actually working with the organizations that are trying to restore anything, that was when I started naming places. You know, let's say hypothetically, and I know both of you guys, as I have, have had people get sort of pissy with them about not naming places or whether they name them or not. I mean, Matt, you've, uh, I don't know how much you want to go into it, but I mean, you've talked to me about some of the things like that, Drew. I know you have too, um, in terms of people getting a little aggressive and they're like, look, I'm not going to do anything. You know, I'm not planning on going into the place. Like what is the harm then of putting something out there for a person that is, you know, somebody comments on your picture and they say, where is this? And you say, I'm not disclosing the location. Like, why would you tell them no if that person lives in New Zealand and they're never going to go to this place anyway? Like, who cares? Because it's not fair. If I'm not going to tell someone who lives, if I post a location or post a theater, which is literally, you know, it's going to be a theater if I post it. If I post a theater and I don't name it, I don't care where you live. I'm not going to tell you where it is, you know, whether it's because a friend of mine is the one who got me access and asked me not to, whether it's the owner who said, you know, yeah, you can't, you can post this, but don't, uh, don't name it. Or whether I just didn't feel like naming it because it's a place that was, you know, I wanted to protect, but I really liked the photo and I wanted to post it. If I, if I choose not to do that, choose not to name it. It's none of anyone's business. What the name is. What do you think, Drew? My biggest thing is that you never know who's watching, especially with the internet. I mean, just because somebody either is from New Zealand or says they're from New Zealand doesn't guarantee that they really are, or that you don't have somebody lurking in the background that is like, okay, so now that you told me exactly where that is, I'm going to go there tonight with a bunch of my friends and we're going to burn to the ground. You never know who's watching. You never know the repercussions of naming a place and what can happen. And the three of us, I know, we certainly all know, too, that law enforcement especially isn't stupid. They know how to, you know, figure out where you've been and what places are accessible. And, you know, it's happened on more than one occasion that people have gotten arrested or have gotten in trouble for going to a place after posting it or naming it or whatever. And that's, you know, just one of several different problems that can happen. But. Yeah, I had a, um, a site manager from a specific state hospital blow up my Flickr page, trying to get me to take him to the, the, uh, the hospital, even though it was him. He just wanted me to come and get arrested. How did you figure out it was him? Because I, uh, I have a friend who works with or worked with his girlfriend who was sort of the other site manager. And he mentioned that he was doing that and that I was one of the targets. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, funny cause you know, in this conversation, I'm somebody who is, uh, I would say one of the more secretive people about places, but I'm just sort of playing devil's advocate here for the sake of somebody who maybe doesn't know about this or or, uh, wouldn't understand why you wouldn't want to post it. But I think that's a really good point that both of you were talking about that actually I didn't have in my notes to bring up later, which is you can get in trouble for that. Uh, There's somebody that I heard about who is an explorer who went to Greystone 
Park Psychiatric Center and had been going there quite a bit because she lived near there. And when they caught her, they had like a folder of stuff on her. So they knew that she had been there. She, they knew roughly when she had been there. They knew when she posted about it. And uh, that was something that she really, you know, had some problems with. To be honest with you, I'm not quite sure how that worked out. I know that she really stopped going into places for a while because she was understandably freaked out. But I mean, that's a, a point that's really good to consider is that you could, by putting this up, uh, you have somebody who works at the security of X state hospital and they're doing searches on Flickr or on Instagram or whatever for that term. They see your pictures. They figure out who you are from your social media profile. You show up and they're like, oh, well, we know you've already been here a bunch of times, Matt Lambros. I mean, I know a very prominent YouTube explorer who early in his career was arrested because he posted a video from uh, ben the Bennett School in Millbrook, New York. I don't think he was arrested. He was he was given a ticket. He was sent like a ticket in the mail, I believe, because he went. And that's something that has happened to a number of people that I know. They've gone exploring to a place. They posted it somewhere with a name. And somehow they've ended up getting a trespassing ticket. No, the one you're referring to. He's still doing that today. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you tell me, Matt, there was somebody else? And I mean, you know, one of the things that uh, I know we had talked about beforehand is that, you know, we don't really want to like specifically talk trash on anybody or call anybody out because that's not really the purpose of this. But you said, too, like you told me the story of somebody who had been live streaming from a theater, right? And uh, got caught for that as well. Yeah, there was a, an explorer who was li who live streamed. Uh, walking up to a theater or walking, holding a crowbar. And then he live streamed from inside the theater. And I don't think he was caught by authorities. Like, on, I mean, I don't think the police were monitoring his specific thing. I think someone uh, called the police on him. Uh, another explorer ratted him out. So that's a thing that happens too, right? I mean, there's a lot of drama in the yep. urban exploration community as a whole. And if, you know, somebody out there doesn't like you and you may not even know who that person is, but they just think that you're a jerk because, you know, whatever, and they find out that you're going to a place, that's something that they can then use against you. Exactly. Uh, I know a few people who got in, got into a, uh, a very well-known or well, like, not well-known, but like, well sought after in the exploring community, abandoned prison. And um, someone called the police on them, or either the police or the feds, but they had two men in black suits show up at their house like a couple weeks later. That's, uh, that's pretty frightening. So, okay, so we've covered what some of the risks to you might be in terms of like respect or trust with other people, getting in trouble, et cetera. Um, we'll go in a little bit to what some of the problems might be for some of the buildings that you might not really disclose it. And again, I mean, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate on this a bit. I've seen it a bunch of times, but you talked about arson, uh, both of you. Is that, is that really a thing for the person that is listening to this? Is that is that really something that happens frequently? I mean, surely that maybe happens every now and again and not frequently, right? Oh, no, that happens all the time. I can name... Let's see, the uh, Green Mountain Racetrack in Vermont burned down last month. The Naval Air Station, the barracks building in Weymouth, Massachusetts, uh, burned down in March. The Hudson River State Hospital has burned many times. Millions. <laughs> There's uh, a theater that I shot, the American Shakespeare Theater in Stratford, Connecticut, burned probably about what, 2019. And sometimes, like in the case of the Shakespeare Theater, it was three high school students who were just going around to vacant buildings and um, burning them down because they could. But in other cases, you know, who knows? So, I mean, do you think, and obviously this is speculation here, but just from reading up on that, do you think that they were using the internet to specifically find places to target them? I don't know. I don't know. In the case of the Shakespeare Theater, I only know of one other photographer who shot it. And uh, I don't think either of us had posted anything. I I only posted it on my website after it had burned down. So, Drew, you uh, you were just at the Green Mountain racetrack, yeah? Right. Yeah, I was there, I want to say, about three, four weeks before the fire. And um, one thing that I hadn't realized until I got there was how badly vandalized it had become in, from what I later was told about, 
a year and a half, two year period. It was basically covering graffiti. Almost all the windows were smashed out. And I hadn't realized that until, you know, after I'd been there that it had been that bad. And then the fire happened very quickly after. And this is a place that, you know, it received some pretty big coverage online, either on social media or, you know, any outlet where people are posting photos from abandoned buildings. So it was certainly out there and known. I mean, when you say that you didn't realize it was that vandalized, is that because you'd seen pictures of it before and it looked fine? Right. Yeah. I had seen photos of it from, I want to say six months to a year ago and it wasn't even half as bad as it was when i was there i would say i like i said i didn't realize that like basically every single window in the place was broken that was kind of surprising the way that we went into the building was through a broken window and that's you know that's really frustrating when you're photographing a place because one of the things that i hear about a lot and personally feel myself is when you go to a place and it's decayed and it feels like, you know, you have that stepping into a time capsule. Part of the ceiling might have fallen in or one of the windows might have fallen out. But that's something that's sort of uh, photogenic and that you can connect to. But when it's just somebody like smashing stuff and spray painting swastika penises all over the, the walls, that's that's real. And, and racial slurs. I mean, it's always swastikas, penises and racial slurs are the holy trinity of uh, graffiti. I mean, that really isn't something that makes you feel like, I guess, you have a connection to a place. If anything, it kind of breaks that, right? And uh, honestly, I would say that, and this is me giving the benefit of the doubt to explorers, I would say the majority of of people who explore are not doing that. They're not going and smashing windows and drawing penises and, you know, racial slurs or whatever. I think that the majority of people who do that are locals people who are in the area who are bored or who are mischievous, who are, you know, whatever. And they look it up on the internet and, or know of it in their area and say, Hey, let's go hang out at X building and smash some shit because it'll be fun. You know, the one thing that I would say that kind of flies in the face of that though, is a more recent trend that I've seen in a lot of buildings. And I know Drew, you and I have talked about it. It's the phenomenon of putting Instagram tags in areas that people really frequently photograph, which I always think right. is a little ludicrous because I have never once, nor have I ever known anybody who has gone into a place, seen uh, an Instagram tag on a wall and been like, you know what, I'm going to sp- follow Spooky Ghost 69 on Instagram because they clearly have some real taste in photos if they've been to this place. Nor do I know anybody who has looked at anybody's photos and said, oh, look at that. There's Explorer Lord on the wall there. I'm going to go and follow their stuff. But I mean, that is something that uh, we've seen at quite a few places, right, Drew? Absolutely. And I hadn't got gotten to tell you about this, but that is beginning to have very real consequences um, as far as property owners noticing things. There's a particular location. I'm not going to say where it was or what it is. You and I have been there though, where some people were getting a message online by the property owner, basically saying, take your photos down or I'm going to you know, take legal action against you, blah, blah, blah. So people were trying to figure out how that was happening and how, this guy was finding the people that he was talking to. Well, as it turns out, he was using their Instagram tags that they left inside the building. Never would have seen that coming. But, but yeah, that, is, that is nothing new. That's nothing new. Before it was Instagram tags, people were leaving their websites, forum names, That's uh, true. screen name, aim names. I, you know, they're the like name they were known by in the exploring world on chalkboards. That's it's been that's been happening the whole time. It's just that Instagram now is the like the popular photo sharing app. People used to leave their Flickr names. You know, but, it's, you it's know, always been the same. App before it, it's I think a little easier to be like, oh, that's Instagram. If you have any sort of, I mean, if you're looking up caveman, there's a whole lot of search results that caveman is going to come up as. But if you're looking up at caveman on Instagram, that's one person. Yeah, yeah, it's easier for them to find it. And if you put your name. You're, you tag your Instagram name, you're an idiot. Right. But, uh, you know, I'm just saying it's not anything new. It's not a new trend. It's just there's more of it because there are more explorers. 
getting back to before we go on to the vandalism part of things because of the sort of list of problems that I have, one of the ones that I think really comes into the arson one that people don't think about a lot is scrapping, right? Because for example, uh, one of the places that I photographed a bunch of times and I went to, you know, back when it still had electricity in it and then became kind of a popular exploration site was the Iram Shrine in Wilkesbara. And that place, I mean, I went there and the lights worked, all the brass railing was there. It was in great condition aside from having some peeling paint in it. I really love that place. It was this feeling, you know, when you find a place that is untouched like that, that you really bond with it. And of course, too, like when you kind of discover that place, which I feel like I sort of did in that in that case, you feel like it's yours in a way, even though it isn't. I mean, you feel this sense of a kind of ownership of it. And over the years, as people found out about this place, it got scrapped. So, you know, they cut out the, uh, the circuit breaker wiring, which meant it no longer had electricity in it, which is pretty bad for the building. But they also cut out the brass railings along all the balconies. And one of the things that I would always say when I was doing pre uh, presentations and mentioning this particular thing is these people use acetylene torches when they're doing it. Acetylene torches throw sparks. Sparks in old buildings are not a real great combination. And the people that are in there that are cutting out uh, piping or wiring or whatever aren't necessarily the type of people that are going to call up the local fire department and be like, hey, you know what? We were illegally scrapping in this place and we set it on fire. You might want to come down here. They're going to run out. They're going to leave the fire going. The, the building is going to, uh, you know, it's going to get worse and worse inside the building. And by the time anybody figures out about it, flames are shooting out of the roof like 20 feet. So scrapping is, is actually a huge, huge problem with places but also one that I think kind of can fall under the arson category in that it's very easy to set a building on fire. So, I mean, is that something that you guys run across, not the arson part necessarily, but scrapping in buildings? Uh, yeah, uh, fairly often. The East Town Theater in Detroit is one that comes to mind for me. Detroit is or was a di completely different beast when it comes to exploring. But the East Town Theater, the scrappers literally stole the steel beams that held up the roof of the theater. They cut the beams and collapsed the roof and then pulled a truck up with a crane and stole the girders. That is a very uniquely Detroit thing. In fact, it's funny because in my notes for this, they have Detroit just all by itself in that. But, you know, the Packard plant in Detroit had a lot of those issues, too, where people came in, they scrapped out the structural steel. I mean, we're not just talking. They, they went through and they hit anything that might have connected to anything. There's none of that left. I mean, this place has been abandoned for 50 plus years. And in Detroit, and Detroit, I think, is, is an area where you really run into places getting just shredded very quickly. I mean, that's even 10 years ago. And once they burned through all the stuff that was like the wiring and the piping and everything like that, they moved on to the structural steel and you have whole floors that have collapsed in these buildings because of them doing that. Yeah. We were walking around the apartment buildings that were right outside of downtown and we kept hearing crash, crash, crash. And we're like, like what's going on? Why, what, what's happening? And people were literally scrapping the building while we were there, just throwing metal out the windows from like the 10th, 12th floor, letting it crash down. And then someone would run up, grab it and run it to their uh, their truck. Drew, I mean, had you run across scrapping before in places? And what do you think in terms of the amount and the severity of it that there is? All the time. I haven't ran into it recently, I would say. But one particular event that really sticks out in my mind was... Um, so probably about eight, nine years ago, going into Delaware Generating Station in Philly, we were going through one of the holes that the scrappers had caught on the north side of the um, the property and the fence. And there were two or three of them that were walking out and we kind of, you know, stopped and talked to each other for a couple of minutes about what each other was doing. And my buddy and I, after we were finished talking to them, we went into the building and as soon as we got inside, I was like, I smell smoke. I was like, that's not good. So we kept on going up through the building and we got to the upper floors of the boiler house where you can walk out into the turbine hall. And I was like, it really smells like there's something in here burning. And as soon as we walked through the door into the turbine hall, the entire thing was full of smoke. 
what had happened was they were using oxyacetylene torches to burn the rubber coating off of the wire so they wouldn't have to strip it by hand. Mm-hmm. And that caused a fire in one of the pits in the basement that was burning some of the wood uh, housing for one of the turbine generators. So my buddy and I kind of looked at each other and we were like, uh, yeah, we need to get out of here right now because the amount of smoke that was coming out was really tremendous. So we both got out and I'd say within five, 10 minutes of us getting out onto the road in front of the plant, fire department showed up. So had we been inside, you know, we could have very well taken the fall for trying to burn the building down. Right. You and I have had a a couple of of fun experiences with scrappers. I mean, I remember the one we were going into a school and uh, we were going up the stairs and it was pretty dark because we're coming up out of the basement. and and, And you were talking to Del, your girlfriend. And on the other stairway, I saw these people coming down, going into a, a pool of light. And I was like, hey, shh, 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 there's people over there. And they were on their way out. Thankfully, we kind of were like, oh, we're not going to mess with you. And they said they weren't going to mess with us. And that was uh, great. But I mean, scrappers can be people that are in a building. I mean, uh, taking out metal, if you're thinking about it, like they're getting probably a couple bucks or, you know, tens of bucks for stuff that they may potentially, I think a lot of times are going to be using on drugs. You know, I I hate to make a a generalized assumption, but like if you can go in and do all the work to take out uh, steel or scrap, then you could go to a job, but you're just sort of choosing not to. And, um, you know, so somebody with a camera, I mean, they're a goldmine to you. That's a lot of scraps there they're carrying around with them. And I, I mean, I remember one of the places that I have on my list of, of spots to talk about today is uh, Mansoor Medical Center in Jeanette, PA, which had multiple large fires in the building. And it's a, a good question if you were to ask, is that because of arson or is that because of scrapping? But I know when I was there, I was by myself and there were people that were coming in and, and stealing uh, bed frames and pipes and things like that. And I heard them rooting around the building and I was by myself and I, I like I basically was hiding in the building, watching them out the window, loading their truck up until they took off. And that was, you know, that was kind of a scary feeling because I was like, well, if I run into these people, you know, are they going to be like, oh, this this guy's stuff is more valuable than the pipes we have in the truck and knock me out and take it or like whatever. Well, the theater that I mentioned earlier, the East Town in Detroit, had that reputation. I believe uh, an explorer was robbed at gunpoint there at one point, you know, for the same reason, you know, like, hey, here's someone who has X amount of camera gear. You know, let's we'll just take it. Didn't you tell me that the uh, the Palace Theater in Detroit had that issue, too? No. Not Detroit, Gary, I'm sorry, the Palace in I don't know if it's the Palace in Gary. I know I told you that the East Town in Detroit, but uh, that could have had that problem as well. Something, a little side note that I had heard, and I'm not sure how true it is, but uh, when Danvers State Hospital was being demolished slash barely reused as a uh, condos, uh, all of the copper was put onto a flatbed. And one morning, Someone drove a truck up, hooked it up to the flatbed with all the scrap on it, and drove it off. And it was not anyone affiliated with the construction company or the uh, or anyone that had legal act legal right to take it. Just some opportunist took it and took all the scrap and cashed it in. I'm not sure if that's a true story, but it's one that I heard right after it happened. I've heard that story in relation to actually security companies. That were some of the state hospitals that mm-hmm. they would. Yes, um, uh, Metropolitan State Hospital. As someone who was on the security team at Metropolitan was actively scrapping the uh, building he, with a couple friends. And he made the mistake, I believe, of buying a Mustang uh, with <laughs> his proceeds with cash. So when they started investigating what was going on, they noticed that one of their security officers had a brand new car on his security salary and kind of realized something was up scrapping is like you know that's that's obviously one of the big problems then obviously in in terms of going and photographing a building in terms of the destruction of the building but also in terms of not wanting to run into people that are scrapping in the building what about uh vandalism you know i I, again i feel like yeah there are as a subset of explorers who 
don't have enough respect for the buildings that they photograph that they are going to break windows and smash things and uh, spray paint. But I kind of feel like the majority of people who do that are not who we would consider explorers. Uh, you know, they could be just locals. It could be, and you know, I do recognize that there is some art in graffiti. So I will use the term graffiti artists and going and seeing that this is a vacant building and, uh, I, you know, I can practice or t- put my tag up here or, you know, and like I saw this a lot at uh, Danvers when for about two and a half years, I went to Danvers State Hospital almost every night and almost every night there were high school kids trying to get into the building. And sometimes they got in and they weren't always the most respectful of people once they got into the buildings. Same thing with uh, Hudson River State Hospital. Uh, we used to go there every Labor Day uh, just to camp out on the roof. That was our like tradition every year. And every year that was when Marist, State Ho- or Marist College was just in session. So there would always be college kids who were going to school across the street from the big spooky building. And they'd always try to come up. And not all of them uh, were quiet you know you'd always hear some glass breaking or some uh, boards being pulled off drew you had problems with that right i mean you were at hudson river state hospital in the last year and i know you told me stories of people on the roofs uh, messing around with security yeah that uh that was a, a fun night i remember we got up there we'd gone to a concert me and my girlfriend the night that we that this happened and we got up to where we were entering the property at about three in the morning, I would say we literally got out of the car and I was saying to her about, Oh, awesome. Like there's no one else parked here. It looks like it's going to be a quiet night up there. Boom. As loud as possible. This mortar goes off over the roof of the Cheney building. I was like, I take that back. I guess we're not alone here. So we walk up and um, I could see like, there was a little red light on the roof of one of the, um, solarium extensions that comes out from the building so that's where they were and they were shooting off mortars and i was like well there's one of two ways that this is going to go either the cops are going to be here in about 10 15 minutes or they won't show up at all so we kept on hiking up the train tracks got into the north wing of the curb ride building and we went up to the top porch the top smoking porch because that's where we were going to try and get a couple hours of sleep before the sun came up I would say within about five minutes of being up there, I heard a car on the other side of the building. I was like, that's definitely the cops. Sure enough, they pulled around and started spotlighting the entire building, looking for the people that were shooting fireworks off. And I was like, oh, cool. So I'm going to get arrested and, you know, be accused of stupid stuff. Thanks to these people. But thankfully, they didn't see us. But this stuff... As far as vandalism, stupid destruction, people doing dumb stuff, it, it still happens all the time. And I would say that it's, it's going on at just an increasing pace as time goes by. And this gets to be a more and more popular hobby or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a thing now where it used to be a place was open for, I don't know, a year or six months and it decayed for 20 years, 30 years. And, you know, you would have this period where people knew about it, but at least the initial people were sort of respectful. And as it filtered into the people that were less respectful, then it would start to get trashed. But you had a much greater time window for it. And now I feel like that's something that has just narrowed exponentially to the point where it can be a month, it can be six months, uh, but a place is completely trashed. I mean, there was a a church in Philadelphia that I I went to that people had smashed the piano, they had smashed the, um, the tiling along the pillars, they had spray painted on the pews, and really it had only kind of got into the community about this place. People had only really started going there about five or six months before that. What are the other things too, by the way, I'm going back a little bit, but I was just thinking about the scrapping thing. Uh, sort of funny story that I had about that was, I remember going to the LeBeau Clothing Company in Baltimore, and there was a guy coming out that was, first of all, he had a very nice coat on, oddly enough, and, you know, he looked sort of like this uh, Dickensian character, like he had um, smudges and soot on his face and everything. And uh, we were going in. He said, you know, what are you going, you know, what are you doing going in? And we were like, well, what are you going, doing, being in there? And uh, he said, scrapping. 
And uh, it was just funny because going into this uh, place, there were hundreds and if not thousands of high-end men's coats. And we were thinking about the fact that, you know, if you're going to sell these things on eBay or whatever, you probably could have got, I mean, these were like Nordstrom, Lord and Taylor sort of coats. And he was going in and, and taking copper for a couple bucks on the pound. And also, I mean, the place was a tinderbox, but I mean, there are a lot of people, I think, in terms of both the vandalism and the scrapping and whatever that, you know, they don't necessarily think about the fact that this place has been around for a long period of time. They're kind of looking at it for their own purposes. And one of the things that you're talking, both of you had sort of mentioned here is also the fact that, like, when people are doing things like this, ultimately it makes it harder for people to access, right? I mean, if a property owner goes into a place and he sees that people have been scrapping it or they put up their tags all over the place or whatever, they're going to be like, oh, people are breaking into this building. They might put fresh plywood onto it. They might start watching the building more. They might put a trail cam or something up around there. I think that's something that all of us have experienced in the sense that like, you know, once a place gets internet famous, all of the sudden, like the security level, the attention level really just skyrockets, right? Yeah, definitely. Drew, you mentioned something earlier, and Matthew, you did too, that when you first started exploring, you sort of had a mentor who kind of, or mentors that said like, hey, this is why we don't do this and why we don't name places, why we don't post certain places. And part of me is thinking, wondering is, is there just such a huge influx of people into this, this hobby, if you want to call it that, that they don't have that, that there's too many people and they're just going and doing it and they're not receiving that kind of like knowledge, like, hey, maybe you want to keep this on the down low for a bit. I'll tell you what, Matt, I, I think that's exactly what it is. I think that the current newer generation of people that are doing this stuff, their mentor is some YouTube star, you know, or some person on Instagram that they're trying to emulate and they're not getting a hands-on experience that you could have gotten in the past with, you know, somebody who's been doing this stuff for a long time and knows, you know, what's, ethically right you know about doing this stuff or you know the right and wrong way of doing you know what we do i think that's the one of the biggest problems and why you see a lot more of this kind of stuff happening nowadays with the vandalism and the arson and the scrapping just because these people don't know that there is a, a better way to do this and the other thing which is sort of an add-on to that is it you know we are a group of people who all sort of commit the same crime, those of us who trespass. What right do we have to tell other people how to commit their own crimes? Right. Very true. Well, that's something that comes up a lot, especially when you're talking about the exploration community. But personally, I feel that there's a large difference between going into a place and leaving it exactly the way that you found it versus going in, uh, breaking all the windows, spray painting on stuff, using um, steel wool or smoke bombs, which I kind of want to get into in a minute, which can potentially permanently damage the place or set it on fire, and then leaving something much worse off than you found it. And I I mean, I think that's kind of maybe one of your key differences that you have between the quote-unquote ethical explorer, the person who is breaking the law and trespassing into a place but doesn't want to leave it so that people that are coming after them can't experience the same thing versus somebody that wants to trash it. And, you know, one of, one of the things that I kind of had on my little list of stuff to talk about in that particular sense is, um, I mean, there have been photographers that I know of that will come into a place, take a picture, and then they don't want other people to get it. So they throw all the chairs down into the basement or Whatever. I mean, it's it's uh, not just one person, unfortunately, and that's a, a reality, too, is that there are these people that come in that are like, I want to have the one shot of this place in the condition that it's in, and then they mess it up so nobody else can have that. Oh, uh, you know, and I will admit that right here. I Not that I have, uh, not that I wanted the shot, but I absolutely hid the baby carriage at the Bridgeport Theaters, and it wasn't because I wanted a shot. Is because I was so tired of seeing everyone take that shot. 
but they found it anyway, so it doesn't matter. Didn't do a good enough job hiding it. I thought that wasn't you. I thought that was the uh, other guy that we were in there. No, no, it was both of us. I found the spot where he put it. And I told them where to put it. it but I mean, at idea. least in that sense, you're not like actually destroying the thing. You're just putting it out of the way, you know, because people do stage shots or they do move things around buildings frequently. I don't fault people for doing that. If you want to stage a shot in a building, stage a shot. But if you're going to stage a shot and then put all the things that you staged in a box and throw it down an elevator shaft, uh, you know, maybe yeah. don't do that. I, yeah, I don't, I, you know, for me, like I've never really been as much into staging shots. I don't, I don't like setting things up. I like kind of the puzzle of trying to figure out, you know, and somebody could have came through like two days before me and set everything up and I'm shooting the thing that they staged. But I personally like the idea of trying to figure out how to present that place as it was. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I will like lower a curtain. I will move, uh, you know, if there's a chair in the middle of my shot or, you know, cords or anything, I'll move those out of the way, but I'm not going to set anything up. Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a difference. I feel like there's a difference in a theater if you're lowering the curtain because the curtain would have been lowered at certain points in the theater. If you close the door, like because the door is sticking out in a weird way, uh, you know, the door opens and closes. There's a difference between that and like going to a different place in the building and bringing all of the, you know, desks into that area or something and setting them up. I mean, I don't necessarily, like, I don't think that's a uh, an ethical flaw when people do that. I just personally, it's that's not really as as much for me. No, you know, and you can always and you can always tell when people do it. There's uh, a few photographers I know who specialize in like photographing abandoned houses, and they will set all the dinner plates out on the table with the silverware and the glasses. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure they left it just like that when the, this house was abandoned. Oh, you know, Drew's uh, Drew's smiling. I assume because of the the house that you and I went to that had all the stuff that was set out like that on the tables. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure that's exactly what happened when they, when they, you know, locked the door the last time and walked away, they just left their, their dinnerware set out. <laughs> they were raptured away. It was like the Mary Celeste or something. Right. Well, no, that's what we do. When we wash all our dishes, we just put them out on the table all ready to go for the next day. That's what I do when I'm leaving the house. I, actually, I mean, it's not so much that we're setting up the shot it's that we're slovenly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But, well, so I think we've covered uh, a lot of the stuff that I had on my list. Does anybody uh, have anything else they want to throw in before we head off into the evening? No, I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I think we've, uh, we've kind of covered everything from the, uh, you know, the, the reasons why not to the reasons why you should or why it's okay to mention an abandoned building on the Internet. But, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we had talked about, uh, I think, getting to the point where we were going to cover the pluggables or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, for Drew, we had said the uh, the secret word was bananas, if we had forgot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, bananas. It's the secret <laughs> word. So, <laughs> Drew, do you have uh, places that you would like to direct people to for your you know, um, website or Facebook slash Twitter presence? Sure. Um, on Twitter, I'm uh, TID Photography is my um, username on Twitter. On Facebook, it's Truth and Destruction Photography. I also have a website that I'm continuing to work on, which I can't remember the address to right now, but I'm pretty sure it's, uh, there it is, kirkbride101.wixsite.com backslash truth and destruction. Sorry about the super long URL that sucks. <laughs> it's okay. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes so people can just click it instead of having to remember it. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, I mean, as a friend of yours, I would highly, highly recommend that people go and check this out because you've been to a absolutely staggering number of different places. You have a a really great, not just the photography of the places, but also a breadth of places that you've been to. So if you're interested in photography, I would, I would totally recommend that you check that out or check our notes and uh, get the link for that because that's awesome stuff. Yeah. And um, you can find me, uh, at After the Final Curtain, Instagram and Facebook, Matt Lambros, 
on Twitter. And my website is afterthefinalcurtain.net. And I'm just Abandoned America everywhere except for Twitter, where I'm Abandoned Merrick because they do not let me have the extra A. So it's very sad, but at the same time, it's it's a cross I carry every day as I go through that I'm Abandoned Merrick and not Abandoned America, but, you know, whatever, find me there. And uh, Drew, thank you so much for joining us yeah. here today. It's been really awesome. I look forward to having you on other episodes of the show. Uh, Matt Lambros, thank you very, very much for, um, you know, kind of uh, filling us in on some of these places. And I'm really looking forward to talking to you both again. Drew, also, thank you for being here. It was great to yeah. you, even though it's via, you know, Zoom. Yeah, no, thank you guys both. It's been a pleasure talking to both of you tonight. Okay, well, that does it for our discussion on why it's important to keep abandoned locations secret. Hope you enjoyed it and look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thanks so much.